Hello and welcome to our podcast, Across These Worlds. This is where Anne Duggan and I share life stories and thoughts on aging as a natural process of living. Our conversations explore topics on care, design, and services that support this process. Anne and I love spending time together making these episodes, and we hope you might find something useful to take away for your journey through life. Hello, Anne. How are you doing today? Oh, hi, Xi. I'm very well today, despite the rain. Thank you. <laughs> Good to hear. And today, we have the distinct pleasure of welcoming John James O'Brien back to continue our mini-series on home design and inspired living. Hi, John. Welcome back. Hi, Chia. Hi, Anne. I'm glad to be here. Great. So last time we talked about imagining the future and seeing through clearer lens when homeowners evaluate their homes for top needs when they are, say, in their 70s, 80s, or likely 90 years old nowadays. Homes are places where someone has lived with ease, but now it might need more room for maneuvering and footprint of equipment, technologies to assist with mobility, reach, health monitoring. How to think about design trend and the need for proactive participation in the planning and design of the residence for a safe, independent, and inspired living for many years to come. Many thanks to Anne and John for providing concrete examples to demonstrate these points. For today's episode, we will turn our attention to the care homes that many older adults with higher care needs call home. In BC, British Columbia, Canada, 40,000 older adults reside in care homes. In 20 years, according to Statistics Canada, 25% of Canadians will be 65 and older, including 2 million, uh, 85 and above year olds. Care homes will continue to play an essential role in aging in place. So how do we get started if we are going to hopefully achieve the goal, which is to provide safe living environment for older adults in the care homes? Oh, thanks so much, G. I'd base my comments on, first of all, my experience of owning and running several care homes in BC for seniors. And now my experience of actually living in assisted living facility in Victoria. I would like to go to the very beginning of the move that people have to make when they're in their aging years from the life they've always known to a new life in facility, quote unquote. And the important key for me to really acknowledge what's happening is for everyone around the client to understand that this client is in a state of grief. They may not be verbalizing it, but they have had so many losses in recent years that have affected them. And now they're expected to suddenly transition to a new residence, has a, a major impact on them. And it's not always recognized right away. The kinds of losses I'm talking about, it may be simply the loss of their own health and they can't do what they've always done. And that's a huge loss, an emotional break for them in trying to adjust. It's a lot, it may be the death of a spouse, the sale of their home. They've given up their car and they're not driving. They've lost their spontaneity and moving about in their own community. They may have lost a pet. They may have had a change in the family dynamic. 
because they've always been the leader and now they may have to be the follower. These things all have impact on people. And a lot of the marketing and the approach that is taken with facilities to welcome these people in does not seem to me to be totally comprehensive in acknowledging that. And sometimes it's rushed a little bit. There's an orientation that takes place and everybody supports it. Oh, parent, the family says, oh, mom, this is going to be so good for you. You're going to love it. And marketing says, this is going to be your home away from home. Quotation I cannot support, but it's used that kind of thing. And so there's a terrible responsibility on the client to show up and do their best, but it's not made easy. Mm -hmm. And I think you highlighted a very important aspect of person-centered care to truly understand the person when they first arrive on the scene, may not be ready for this new life ahead of them. To, To grow into that life is is actually um, something that requires lots of effort and lots of help and thoughtful design to do that. It's important. It's important to remember that with people who are aging, all processes take a little bit longer mm-hmm. than in regular life. So people may think they're over their grief process or whatever. It's important to remember that goes on for quite a while. And there are some things that I think wouldn't be very difficult if we were just to remember those things in terms of what we offer uh, when when a person is arriving in this new situation and a a gentle attitude um, but also support from everybody is and sometimes it takes lessons for people to learn how to be supportive in that way but that would just be to remember there's an underlying fear about this. It's, I mean, I don't mean to compare it with childhood, but it's very much a transition such as a little one going to school for the first time. All the fears of new people in a new situation. And uh, I think that uh, once we could talk, talking about that and, and making that the key purpose of of the attention of the first couple of weeks would make a difference for everyone. Mm -hmm. If we think about a person who is feeling a sense of loss and and they're grieving, how do we help them? How do we address that emotional need in terms of architectural design? I, I think that's a great question and a real challenge in terms of design. And like so many challenges, the origins of the solution comes from really understanding the challenge. And that starts with the question, what are we trying to achieve? And what we're really trying to do, as I understand it, is help people find their own path through an emergence into the new community, into into the new stage of life that they're living. So when I think of design questions to do that, I, I think back first on anybody who's ever gone through any kind of grief process, you need time, as Anne says, and you need some personal space. And part of that process might be that you are tentatively reaching out, willing to leave your actual home space and venture out into the larger building, 
but you don't want to be lost in some humongous cavernous room where everybody turns as you come in the door. It's a, a great uh, feature to include things like alcoves or smaller areas with say window seats where people can go with a book or with their iPad that their younger family members have no doubt given them and uh, sit alone, but in community. And then you get those natural occasions when you say hello to someone or someone says hello to you and it begins to build that bridge into finding relationships. So that's one of the ideas that comes to mind for me is that instead of designing for the maximum number of people that might need to be in a particular space, you know, we're going to have a weekly bingo and we need room for 100 participants. Well, that's great, but that room might be designed in such a way that it could be partitioned or that it might be designed in such a way that you have, let's say, several rooms off a uh, lobby area that can then open into the lobby area and you've now got a very large space from what were more varied spaces. And they should be truly varied so that you can have a space that's intimate, that provides exposure to others, but that doesn't add the burden of having to engage until you're ready. That's one of the things that comes to mind for me. I love that idea. I think it's the invitation. It's the opportunity to engage, but you don't have to. The space is ready for you when you are ready. I like the passive aspect of it because once you design it, then it can keep working and that's a productive way of doing it. Actively, what else can we do? I think that if for the first two, maybe just say two weeks, something like that, there could be a daily visit to the new resident by a staff member, an appointed staff member, either an ambassador or an, I could be a resident, but it probably at first would be a staff member, just to make a real contact, uh, not rushed, to that person to say, I'm here to show you what anything you'd like to see. We can go for a walk and make sure you understand the building, take your time. And, and they're conversing and they're listening and they're supporting because it's like any other process. It's so much easier if somebody appears and helps you through that little bit every day. And gradually that can be withdrawn, but it doesn't exist in many of the facilities I'm familiar with. And I really think it's key that we're all anxious to be independent. You know, as we age, we all want to say, oh, we're fine, thanks, we'll manage. But it's that there are some certain periods that are very important. That new transition to a new way of life, a new way of being, new food, new everything. Without being frail about it, we'd like a little support. Mm -hmm. I love the idea to have a, a person there, a friend there to, to get you started, maybe take you to the spaces that... John was talking about to introduce that person to those safe areas that they can feel at home. So I'm, I'm imagining that the person now, after a couple of weeks, they have a friend and they, they're ready to maybe build a small circle of friends that they can hang out with, maybe play bridge. How do we support that? What else can be introduced to allow the social needs of that person to be met when they are ready? Well, every day has a coffee time and a tea time. 
that's always a wonderful opportunity to sit with two or three people and gradually start to to learn about the others that are there and talk with them and so on. That would be one of my ideas. John would have others on that as well. Following up on that idea, and I'm very interested in kind of the nuanced and, and subtle ways in which we all feel either empowered or inhibited by the surroundings that we're presented with. And so, for example, if you're going to be joining your friends for coffee, or and there'll be a new people there that you don't know, one of the things you don't want to convey, uh, typically, is that you all need to make special room for me. Rather, you want to be able to take your place comfortably and join in without any sense that people are making an exception for you or something like that. That, that really is important in terms of bridging relationships. So from a design perspective, that means that the seating, ideally, will offer you the opportunity to adjust it to your own comfort level, as opposed to having to ask so-and-so to get off the couch because you want that seat and they need uh, to take the chair that isn't ideal for you. Something along those lines would be any kind of design element that allows you to exercise personal choice. And I think that that aspect of choice is really critical in finding your own place as you are emerging out of that period of loss into claiming a new way of being in that space. So anything that allows you to make choices, even though they don't seem like they're very big, actually are helping build that sense of independence again. So some of the ideas there might be that different places you can go to, not at set times, but spaces that are welcoming of the residents who can occupy them and do whatever it is they might want to be doing on their own time and schedule. Uh, other choices might be, and I noticed this in some facilities, uh, the entrance to a resident's room may have an opportunity to have a display of personal items that can be changed uh, according to personal interest or seasonal interest. Uh, anything that gives you that opportunity to make a mark on the, uh, the design that you're living in. Now, of course, you can take that to, to very granular levels in terms of the, uh, the way the walls are treated, to have a wainscoting that looks like uh, classic traditional paneling, as opposed to a stainless steel or wood rail on the wall that looks more institutional. And those are proactive decisions that I think that the facility needs to make, but it can be informed by what residents seek. Mm -hmm. So what I hear is choice, is flexibility. Does that create a lot of operational challenges? Would that be too much burden on the staff member? Would that be a concern? We have to look at everything in parallel, don't we? I mean, we talk about the needs of the residents, the needs of the staff are equally important where none of this happens. And there has to be some kind of program and scheduling going on. In, at home, we don't always sit down at the table at exactly the same moment every single solitary day and know that if we're not there, we're not going to get fed. That doesn't happen at home, but it happens in facility. They will be fed, but they 
that that fear is there, that they won't be if they're not on schedule. So those schedules exist, whether or not they can be changed over time to open up the areas and use a more grazing to food access. There's all kinds of the new things we have to be thinking about, but we don't have to answer all those questions but we do have to raise them. Mm -hmm. And because staff will change, the profile of staff will have to change with if we introduce the changing needs of residents to a more, more participatory level. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I think it's really put the person in the center, right? To never forget that part when we are designing the system. I'm, I'm hopeful that we will figure out a way to allow the flexibility without sacrificing too much of the staff members' job satisfaction. Ultimately, the, the goal is to have a, a system in place so that the person can be a full engaging participant in the, in the care home with all the wonderful activities. Are there things that we can do to help that transition? One of the things that occurs to me is that a need that we have in terms of bridging from one sort of stage to another is knowledge about what the opportunities are. And it's true that there are pamphlets and probably posters up in the elevator and all that sort of thing to uh, inform people of activities they can participate in. But I always think nothing beats the opportunity to really see what's going on and to get a tangible feel for something you might enjoy doing. And designing hallways in such a way that there is a, a bit of a bump out, an alcove or a, an, an area that people can go into and see the display of the artworks that are coming out of the activity program. And perhaps another area that might be something featuring the books that the book club will be reading over the next uh, quarter of the year. And that sort of opportunity for natural engagement of what's going on in the facility could be facilitated by having a little bench there. So you can sit and enjoy and look, no doubt criticize, but also say, I could do that too. And uh, that is part of the step of saying, you know what, I'm gonna show up at three o'clock at that at room B and I'm gonna start throwing my clay around and become a potter. And if it's just read off uh, a brochure or a guidebook, it doesn't have that same kind of, I can do it, pull. Mm -hmm. I hope that's a good example. Oh, that's an excellent example. Nothing beats tangible outcome. The competitiveness that you just mentioned perhaps is, is, a, is a big driver for people to say, I can do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so struck by the idea of the alcoves. I just, I don't want any more ordinary corridors ever. I just want something because we need alcoves with things in them. And one way to get a person participating in their own health is to use one of those alcoves on every floor, on every corridor to have a self-management of exercise for a program for you and with a reward system people all need rewards and we need an awful lot when we're old there are not many rewards if we had a system and we're in one of those alcoves john mentions there were some weights and an, and an indicator of what to do with them and and how many points you score if you can lift so many pounds for so many minutes or whatever and, and it's all taken in, it's all automatically transcribed right there with 
technology. You don't have to think about it or remember what you did. It's all recorded. And every three months or something, you're rewarded if you achieved certain points. That kind of thing. I mean, I can go on endlessly about the kind of things that that would add to the day. Because to, again, be personal about it, one of the dreariest times of my day is walking the very long corridor from the elevator back to my room. It's a long way. And there's nothing happens except a lot of shut doors. I have 22 doors, I think it is, between the elevator and my room. And it just makes me think, is there anybody here? Is there anybody up and doing something? Um, but just think what it would be if every, 20, every so many feet along the way, there was a little dent in the wall and an alcove was something to look at or something to do. It would be phenomenal. And it can't be hard. It can't be hard architecturally. We just have to think about it well enough in advance to start to, to ask for this kind of thing. Yeah, I, I would jump in to say that if an alcove is going off the hallway, that presents a bump into the space on the other side. And you can imagine that abutting that space on the other side might be the closet, for example, so that the wall would be designed almost like a Greek key in such a way that you have alcoves periodically on one side, closets periodically on the other side. And that's a way of incorporating that kind of design idea without adding a whole lot of additional cost. And something that occurs to me in terms of existing facilities, because it would be a little bit trickier to do that if you've already got your building built, but uh, in an existing facility, how about replacing the doors, those 22 doors with the uh, Dutch style doors that have the open at the top, closed at the bottom, and you can leave that open for interaction with passers-by just the way we do when we have a front porch in a neighborhood and want to give a little hello to people going by if we are in the mood to do so. That would be a relatively low-cost way of, again, encouraging a kind of interaction. Now, it always, of course, uh, you have to consider the stage of assistance and care that people need because in different stages, it may be that uh, it, that would present problems for people uh, feeling invaded in some way. But certainly for independent living, that's another opportunity to create community, I think. And people have control over the top part of that door if they want to keep it closed, it's perfectly all right to do so. Exactly. That's a long-held dream of mine. That, that is how the doors would be because it's just so isolating sometimes, otherwise. So there are lots of design features as well as operational changes that we can put in place to facilitate. There's the invitation to participate, the opportunity to participate. So what would be the motivation for that person to participate? Very individualistic, isn't it? And what would be nice would be if the opportunities to participate were there and the organization that produced them um, felt uh, satisfied that they had made that opportunity available and the residents know it's there. There will always be residents who might not want to take opportunity. There's exactly the same as the population in every community. There's certain people that aren't ever going to participate and there's certain people that are going to use 100% of it. So we really 
just have to make it available because participation for self-confidence, for health uh, reasons, to get people moving a little bit so that they don't develop the problems associated with lack of mobility, all of those. So there's aspects of every sort, emotional and physical and so on. But in the long run, it's still up to the individual as to how much of everything in life they participate in. Mm -hmm. To respect the individual's choice. I think from a design perspective, it seems to me that our challenge is to provide flexible opportunity so that the design doesn't become the barrier in itself to the choice that the resident makes about how much they want to engage or how they might want to engage. So in a design sense, we should be thinking about everyone wants moments when they're private. Everyone wants moments when they're less so, perhaps in community. Everyone wants to have a sense of independence, but at the same time, reality may mean we need supportive care. We have the aesthetics that we have to consider, but we also have to think of the practical functions. So from the design perspective, the key is to be aware of that core principle of supporting residents and their ability to make free choices and, and shape this next stage of life and uh, to become knowledgeable about the practical implications of the design choices we make to allow for that flexibility. Just to summarize, imagine a person who is moving into a care home. Be aware of the grief and the loss that they are experiencing. Provide the supporting uh, design features as well as the operations to help them address the emotional needs and gradually the social needs, and then ultimately the fully participate. And that requires thoughtful thinking in terms of providing the opportunities and adapt along the way. Well, I think it gives us a sense of the future with the increasing numbers that are going to be probably wanting to utilize facilities. I'm hoping there'll be other options for us as well over the next 20 years or so as the population balloons. But it certainly gives us that hint of what's ahead and how, how busy we have to get to get the word out um, so that the architect is now an architectural team and every architect needs a nurse and a social worker and a, re and a recreational person working with them for every feature they put into that building. And I think from my perspective, the, the thing to remember is that all of us, uh, designers, architects, care uh, staff, health practitioners, all of us are going to be in the same situation one day. And one of the greatest untapped resources, in my view, is our own imaginations about how do we want to see ourselves able to realize our capacities, our best capacities, when we're older. And if we can apply that to our design challenges, whether that be design of the facility or design of the operational systems, then we're, we're making a step in the right direction. Well said. I would like to thank John and Anne for walking us through this critical step of, of the transitioning into care homes. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jeff. Take care.